A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Catherine Whitaker and David Law are back in the UK and I think jet lag free, Catherine. What do you think? Um... I'm sleeping a lot, and it's That's difficult to know where jet, jet lag ends and just catching up on sleep begins, isn't it? Okay, well, not to worry. We'll talk about tennis anyway, because this is <laughs> the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and Amazon Prime Video UK. Who brought you the US Open, courtesy of Catherine Whitaker presenting? Uh, they'll be back with the Labour Cup at the weekend, uh, covering that as well. Worldwide, more than 200 countries. Catherine and I will be watching. We'll bring you a, a show straight afterwards. And there's loads of tennis to talk about today, Catherine. Uh, first of all, though, how's your week been back in in uh, in the real world? Because uh, New York doesn't really feel like the real world, does it? Yeah, but I'm not sure sort of being comatose in bed is the real world either. No, probably not. <laughs> how, how many how many day how many hours of sleep have you averaged? Oh, eleven. Eleven. You've averaged. Well, I mean, you did. You did actually describe an eight-hour sleep as a nap to me the other day. <laughs> yeah, that was accidental, though. That was the day I got. You know, when you you have an overnight flight and you land in the morning, and there's there's just no way you can you can push through. My dad actually came to pick me up from the airport, which is lovely. Um, and uh, I was in such a, a a desperate, exhausted, jet lagged state. Um, in the car, on the, and of course we got stuck in rush hour driving into London traffic. Um, and he was like, "Do you need me? Do you need me to pull over?" And I was like, "No, no, Dad, just get there, just get there, so I can go to bed." Uh, and then, yeah, I just had a full night's sleep in the middle of the day, and then a, a normal night's sleep that night. I, I slept for twenty of the first twenty-four hours of being back. <laughs> <laughs> You did describe. Uh, you also did miss out the the, the three hour top up that you told me about in the evening. Yeah, uh, fell asleep so. on the sofa that night, and then yeah, I mean, I just yeah, all non drug assisted. Right. 
Okay. It was great. Yeah. It was absolutely great. She wouldn't have even failed How the test. How about you, David? Well, nothing like that. Let's just say that. Um, but anyway, I feel I feel like full of beans and uh, I don't care whether I've had enough sleep or not. You sound alarmingly full of beans, yes. David. Well, I've, I've had a good weekend of uh, tennis watching, which has uh, involved the Davis Cup, uh, which we're going to get on to. We're going to be talking about what is effectively the final weekend of proper Davis Cup as we've known it over the last 117 years, I say. We've known it i've only been alive for 45 of those catherine for considerably less but anyway it's been going on for well over a century uh it won't be like that anymore uh, we'll talk about that uh, and, and about what is to come this brave new world that we're going to be entering in 2019 we're going to talk a little more uh, about uh the fallout from uh serena and Carlos Ramos gate although not too much because I, I've been getting it in the neck for, for continuing talking about it but I, I do feel like more stuff has happened Enrique Molina uh, was our interview we got some reaction to that David if yes. they're if they're bringing it up on question time then I think on a tennis podcast we're we're justified in still talking about it on Thursday it was a there was a audience question about the Serena gate on question time how did it go down before we get off the subject for now I don't know. I didn't watch it because I find question time puts me in a bad mood. Right. <laughs> I was made aware. I was made aware uh, that that was the case. Okay, fine. Well, we'll do a little bit more on that because there's more stuff to discuss. Uh, we're going to talk about the results of the week. There's been there have been some interesting ones, although not not massively higher profile outside of the the Davis Cup, but there have been some that, that I'd like to get on to. There is pole vault, of course, Catherine, which you'll be. Um, Disgusted to hear is uh, is back as part of the show, uh, but I think first of all, certainly from my standpoint, and I think that this is very fair comment from from many of our our listeners, um, a word or two on Naomi Osaka because it does feel as though she got a bit lost in it all. We we did try to to give her her dues etc etc, but you know it, it is it isn't what it would have been in terms of reaction. But I tell you what, it has been. It's been it's been certainly noticed in her sort of lap of honour uh, and and her kind of celebration circuit of, of all the shows that she's done. She did the Ellen DeGeneres show in the States. She went to back to, to, to Japan. And in fact, she's playing in the Tokyo tournament this week. She's got um, Dominika Sibelkova as her first match. But how do you think she's handling it? I mean, because from my standpoint, the way she, she looks, she seems to be handling the whole rigmarole incredibly well. I mean, there's such a fuss being made of her. There's such a lot of talk about how much money she's going to end up making and and, and what it all means sort of in terms of, uh, you know, the business of tennis. But she doesn't seem to be reacting to anything any different to how she reacts to most things, certainly publicly. Well, she's obviously a woman with a very even keel. So, yeah, unless unless she is incredibly different um, in private to her, she's in public, and she certainly doesn't um, give the impression that she would be, then it seems to be going very well. You don't know what her internal monologue is, do you? I mean, yeah, I, I've heard lo- lots of... I think, actually, on um, BBC Radio this weekend on, on Fighting Talk, a um, which is like a, a a comedy sporting panel show, Naomi Osaka was uh, was introduced. Uh, the The topic of Naomi Osaka was introduced as Naomi Osaka soon to be the world's highest uh, the world's highest earning female athlete, as if that was just you know a fait accompli. Um, 
and that that very well may be the case um we're all aware of how much money there is in, in endorsements in in that part of the world um and she also sort of appeals to it's awful to talk about it in terms of appealing to markets but you know she also appeals to the american market as well so yeah that very well may be the case and two i think she announced two big new endorsement deals this week one with nissan correct um, yeah. i believe and one other what's the other i can't remember but um anyway there are two big ones this week and i'm sure there are others and i'm sure you know can you imagine the dealings that her agent is (laughs) doing behind the scenes um but she seems to be just you know doing her thing and taking it in her stride and going on the ellen degeneres show like you know oh right i'm on the ellen degeneres show and everybody that i speak to that knows her a bit um you know speaking to um you know comms managers at the wta everyone seems really confident that she will be unchanged by it really really confident obviously you can never know for sure but they have a lot of confidence in her that she will handle it one way or another you know she could have a dip in form so Stevens lost eight matches in a row at the end of last year I don't think it'll anything like that will happen but a dip in form is not the same as you know going off the rails and being overwhelmed by the whole thing i'd be surprised if that happened the the bigger question for me is whether she is okay with this just lifestyle wise because we saw what it did with angelique kerber we had our long discussions about introverts versus extroverts i don't know which naomi osaka is Um, you don't know which you are yet david no i haven't done that what's that test i've got to do again myers briggs oh yeah Right, I'm going to do that Not, after this nothing podcast. Nothing to do with Simon. No. But as far as I know. Two very good Briggs as far as we're concerned. But anyway, I, <laughs> straight after this podcast, I'm going to do the Myers-Briggs test. And I, uh, let's see if Naomi Osaka, if she's listening, suggests she does it as well, just to find <laughs> out what's, what's, what's coming. But the reason I ask is because we talked a lot about Angelique Kerber back when she won her first slam. And, and I mean, look, let's be honest, she went and backed it up and did all the rest of what she did. She reached the Wimbledon final, she reached the Olympic final, she won the US Open. So it's not like there was an immediate downturn in her fortunes, but you could tell at the end of that year, or the following year rather, that she just had enough of all this chat and all this attention. Um, The one I would compare it to, going back to when I first joined the ATP circuit, is, is Pat Rafter, who won the US Open in 97. And I remember meeting him, not for the first time, but sort of the first time in a full-time role that I was in at the ATP as a communications manager in 98, in the February of, of 98. And what it was clear with him was that he just hated all the responsibilities that came with his endorsements. So yes, off the back of this massive win, he, he'd, he'd got four or five big contracts worth you know, considerable amounts of money, but each one of them required him to give certain numbers of his days up to those sponsors. And he just didn't look comfortable with it all. And, and he basically admitted it, you know, I don't don't really want my life to be like this. And and that's that's a balance, isn't it? Because you've got you have got an opportunity cost there with your life. What do you do with it? Do you maximize it for for financial gain or do you just say, well I don't want my life to change? And is it actually possible to be at that level of celebrity and that level of success without your life changing? 
Yeah, I mean it's no di- it's no different to the this the sort of equations and and opportunity cost decisions that n- normal non grand slamming people have to make at various points in their lives. You know, what price do I put on on hap- well in the broadest brushstrokes term? What price do I put on my happiness um, and, and maybe even my sanity? Um, and we're talking astronomical sums of money. So obviously the temptation is going to be um, at its most extreme, but she said that she's not that into money. You know, the the, the problem you have is that she's a a twenty year old. Um, I don't know her agent at all, so I, I, there's absolutely nothing personal to him. But just, well, I assume it's a him. I think it's a him. They usually are. Um, just speaking to Daniela Hantikova, you know, she speaks very profoundly about um, the the pressures that you're under to take these deals. You know, even if you have, you know, she said. Her family, she trusted the advice of her family completely and obviously they weren't in any way interested in in exploiting her, yet she still felt an obligation to take deals because she felt throughout her career she owed a lot to her family because of the sacrifices they'd made to get her to where she was. So even though they weren't applying any pressure to her, um, she applied the pressure on their behalf, if you like, because she felt indebted to them and then you do have agents and so on people that are profiting from you and and may apply um unwanted pressures and so on so for to for a 20 year old to try and cope with all of that and i'm sure she i'm sure there'll be some missteps in there um her parents look look solid to me i mean her mum looks great fun her beaming smile um and and tears when uh when Naomi won, were they? They all live with me for a long time. Um, but I, I, it looks to me like the basic ingredients are probably there for her to more or less handle it reasonably well. Um, but I'd be surprised if there there wasn't the odd misstep in there. She's mm. a twenty year old that's about to inherit the world. I think the other thing is, given what appears to be her potential, it will be interesting to see how much she she wants to win. Because I think if she wants to win enough, she's going to do a heck of a lot of winning, you know, because the the basics, we saw them in that final, just how good she is. You know, we'd seen it in the run-up to that. But to bring that game that had been winning 6-love, six 6-1, six 6-1, six 6-love against the also-rans and then start dishing it out to well, Serena. Well, against, against decent players, David. Yes, love yeah. and love against Sasnovich. Ooh. I know, who I've just been watching and fighting it out with a good player like Anastasia Pavlichenko in Tokyo. And the, the idea that, that she would just get wiped off the court is is a hard one to, to, to fathom, really, unless Sasnovich is, was ill. So assuming she wasn't ill, that's, that is an example of she's got everything. Osaka as a, as a player it would appear to me anyway so it'll be fascinating really to see her her journey her arc uh, in the sport so we, we'll see um yeah Tokyo starting this week uh, we've just had Davis Cup weekend um it results wise saw Croatia reach the final for the second time in three years beating the United States 3-2 uh, France also winning 3-2 against Spain although you could not get two more 
different ties. Mm. Croatia with 2-0 up and the States came back into it, won the middle day doubles, then Sam Query upset Marin Cilic 2-all and then it was Borna Choric against Francis Tiafo and Tiafo led two sets to one and eventually Choric won it in five. So an incredible tie in, in Zadar in Croatia and in France... Well, it was 3-0 and over and out in two days. And eventually Spain won basically the two dead rubbers. So um, that's the final. What what did it make? How did it make you feel watching the, that three-day spell, knowing that Davis Cup is never going to be like this again um, in, in quite this way? It made me feel like they definitely shouldn't have bothered playing those two dead rubbers in yes. Lille. Um, and it de- made me feel like if I was a ticket holder, I'd definitely rather have had a refund than than watch those two dead robbers i know that's why they do it um i i think if you've had four live robbers they don't play the fifth one is that right or is it it, maybe it's to do with the the uh, quantity of time that the crowd gets quantity of tennis but i i know i would have felt annoyed about that i mean that's that's three reporting that as a three two scoreline um, in terms of rubbers is ridiculous. That was yeah. a, that was a three three zero scoreline, and then they played a day of exhibition tennis. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, you said it very well on Twitter, actually, in relation to the um, the Croatia uh, United States um, Davis Cup tie, which, as you said, had everything was absolutely compelling. Um, was any you know this is as good as Davis Cup gets in terms of drama and 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 players caring and all of that and you know that what's on the line qualifying for the you know the last ever sacred truly sacred davis cup as many would see it and yet would anyone in america really have been caring i mean obviously some people but generally speaking would it have registered a a notch on the sporting news richter scale in the states Probably not. No, and that that's a problem. That's a problem. If that's Davis Cup at its absolute best, let's be honest, we we could do with America caring about it. I mean, partly it is that they don't have any players on the men's side that that grab headlines and attention. With all due respect to to Sam Querrey, and maybe Francis Tiafo could be that one day, but he's not yet. But but even so, it's not that though, Catherine, because they used to. They used to have Sampras and Agassi, and yes, okay, if you went back to the days of McEnroe, maybe people over there cared more. But it, it the format and the competition it lags so far behind the Grand Slams, whereas Ryder Cup in golf doesn't. Ryder Cup is on. Is is people take notice of it, no matter what the media you might be reading and and and, and listening to and watching is covering it in the United States. It's just different, and uh, and I mean that you could come up with various reasons as to why that is, but fundamentally, I, I think trying to explain to people what's going on in the Davis Cup that this was a semi-final in September, and oh, if they reach the final, that's in November. Oh, and then we start again in February. That. That has been problematic for a long time in a lot of these markets. And you look at the the TV market um, for any team outside of your own. Now, I I don't – well, okay, that's unfair. I don't want to speak for every TV market in every country. But certainly in the UK, I could not find anywhere to watch Croatia against the United States. The only place you could watch it was if you subscribed to the ITFs and Davis Cups sort of stream – and that's not good enough. That 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 isn't 
available to enough people people don't know about that enough so yeah it's it's problematic that tv broadcasters do not want to pay that rights fee to cover a team that is not their own country um and so much as i think is being lost and and that tie showed you what is going to be lost because you're not going to get a tie like that best of five sets best of five rubbers you're not going to get that anywhere in the world even with even with the home and away ties in february of next year that will lead to the eventual final you're not going to get that again so there is there is stuff being lost um and you're also only going to get it once a year as opposed to four times a year but neither one of them is perfect and some people have come to me and said well you were you were saying this end of season thing is going to be great what what are you complaining about now for i think what we've discovered and what we've concluded from the whole serena williams carlos ramos naomi osaka situation a week ago is that things aren't always absolute things aren't always yes this is my opinion and i'm going to back it to the hilt no matter what because there's a lot there's a lot going on and you've They've got to try to reach the best conclusion, and I don't think either one of them right now is the best conclusion. No, I agree. I mean, this, exactly as I discussed with Charlie Eccleshare in our podcast where you were swanning around Croatia, David, at the time of the of the vote, of the ITF vote, I don't feel that strongly either way. I, I, it's probably not the proposal I would have come up with had I been asked to reform the Davis Cup. But equally, everyone would probably have come up with a slightly different proposal. What would you have um, gone with? So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have basically copied the Ryder Cup, probably. Every, I I'd certainly wouldn't have made it annual. I, I th- for me, that's crucial it, for it to not be an annual event. So one week a year, um, but every two years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and I, know, I know the problem with the Ryder Cup is it excludes, uh, it's not global it excludes certain territories in the world so i, I wouldn't i'd have tweaked there yeah that wouldn't um, work would it because you, you've got more no. than two countries and, and otherwise i mean Ray, basically the labor cup is the Ryder cup um yeah all gets in yeah, the but way that's annual as well yeah I, I know but i mean very broadly speaking i'd have copied that template as as close as i possibly could because as a as an individual sport trying to create a team event it's it's the best I mean, it is an absolute riotous success every single time. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like yeah, I, I, there are probably there are things that I would pick up and go, oh, that you know, that's not ideal. That's but I am I'm prepared to give it a go. More importantly, I just don't want to see tennis tear itself apart. I don't want to see the warring factions. I want even if it's a not the ideal. Um, um, tournament or set of circumstances. I just want everyone to agree on it and say, okay, let's all unite and give this a go. And if it doesn't work, we'll try again and look at it again. But this, the the tennis tearing itself apart is very, very distressing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm keep trying my best. I know it's not a very sexy opinion to have about the Davis Cup. It'd probably be a far more interesting podcast if I was doing a Yannick Noah and saying <laughs> R.I.P. Davis Cup and, um, you know, reading a big eulogy out. But, you know, I just feel like let's let's keep an open mind and give it a go. Ultimately, I, I, I share that view that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of the power plays uh, and the messy of it all I, I don't like seeing the Labour Cup um, and the Davis Cup trying to just get in each other's way and 
you know, David. All due respect to what Roger Federer has done, and the Labour Cup was was a roaring success last year, etc. But don't try and get in the way of something that's that historic and that great. Try and make it work, people. For goodness' sake, just get together and sort this out for the good of the sport, because there's something in there that you're proving with the Labour Cup that team sports work we've proved over the last hundred years that there's loads to love about the davis cup make it work for goodness sake anyway um there was also uh, a tie in great britain uh, a, pl- a load of playoffs in fact uh, the, the one we as british people took most interest in was certainly britain um somehow and en- ending up winning against uzbekistan despite the fact that cameron nori lost from two sets up in his opening rubber he got the the win in the end in the fourth rubber dan evans got a win in five sets as well charlie eccleshare was there from the telegraph in glasgow uh, and i asked him what what he made of the the sort of atmosphere and the feel whether it had whether it seemed any different and what his views were generally obviously you spoke to him on the podcast about the the format generally he said that there was definitely a sadness and an end of era feel he said i feel it's quite a weird situation because we don't know when we'll be back there uh, and also in glasgow and also it's uncertain just how different the home and away knockout ties will feel in the new format it could be that even though they're shorter matches two days and less frequent they'll still feel as special or as good but just in a different way i think this weekend encapsulated a lot of the pros and cons two best of five singles is too much Fri- on friday when you had evans and norrie playing in five sets he said by the end of it the place was deserted and he said leon smith certainly believes that that best of five is too long now um he said i think the biggest loss is the dedicated doubles day um in that it makes saturday special and a great atmosphere I mean that I'd definitely agree with that the doubles I hope the doubles feel is preserved generally that 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 it's still as good as ever but the the most jarring thing of the lot about this new proposal from from my view is is this idea that there will be wild card teams put into the finals so that you'll have this playoff home and away process in February to decide who's going to join the four semi-finalists of the Davis Cup this year in next year's sort of November finals in in Madrid or Lille or wherever they choose to play it. But then there's just a couple of teams that they're just going to throw in anyway because of goodness knows what reasons. Wild cards in a World Cup don't work. Giving out wild cards into a Grand Slam quarterfinal, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well exactly. World cards in a World Cup and that is how they're branding it. No. Doesn't work. No. And actually Leon Smith today r- tweeted it's going to be very interesting to see how Davis Cup decide the wild cards for the 2019 finals. Quite a few nations including ourselves merit consideration. Hopefully and will a, it- a very Sorry, transparent David. and fair process. Let's see. I mean, it's right. quite well, clear he, that he, he thinks makes it's a nonsense. exactly the point there. Transparency, however it is, it has to be transparent. Um, and yeah, I don't currently trust that it will be, but I hope to be proven wrong. Well, what, what they they've actually released details of the criteria or, or the process by which uh, these uh, wild cards are going to be decided. And Stu Fraser tweeted this. He said. Two wild cards for the following year will be selected during the weeks of the finals event by the steering committee. So for 2020, it will be decided next November during the finals of the 2019 event. The steering committee will be made up of two ITF representatives, 
one organiser representative and one past player. A nation receiving a wild card must be ranked in the top 50 of the Davis Cup nations ranking or have at least one player with ranked, who's ranked in the top 10 of the ATP World Tour rankings. For 2019, the wild cards will be decided ahead of the qualifying draw, which incidentally takes place on the 26th of September. I mean, that it, just it sounds to me, sounds David, wrong to me. and call me cynical. Uh, many have. Uh, it sounds to me like it's an opportunity to ensure uh, star power. That if there yes. is a star player uh, from a other otherwise not strong tennis nation, one star standout player that they want to be at the tournament to give it extra media attention and credit and all the rest of it, that they can ensure that they're there regardless of you know the performance of the the country that they represent yeah that, that's the fear certainly f- from my standpoint for instance switzerland who have stan Wawrinka and roger federer they lost in their match over the weekend in a in the final deciding rubber uh they lost against sweden represented in this fifth rubber by jonathan murder who is ranked 1,094 in the world. He beat Switzerland's Sandro Erat, ranked 1,211 in the fifth and deciding rubber. So Switzerland won't be seeded in February uh, it, when, when this draw, draw is made in did September they, Did 26th. they pluck them out of the crowd? <laughs> so you've got... I mean, that is I mean, a that concern is, for me. That is, I mean, I'm sure there's... St- obviously, they're still fantastically good tennis players, but... That is, a, I mean, I mean, soon rankings won't go that low, will they? Two players in the thousands <laughs> played each other to decide a, a winner in a Davis Cup playoff. Um, and fair, yeah, you know, you good. could say that's the magic of the Davis Cup. But you, let's be honest. If if um, there, there will be a there will be a lot of people out there who, who want to make sure Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and people like that are in these on the, in these finals, and it really bothers me if that's going to be made to happen um via this wildcard situation now it might not be um russell fuller tweeted that surely south africa should uh, uh, one of the, the one of the countries in 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 africa should have uh, a representative in a world cup um so maybe there will be maybe it will be skewed in order to to give opportunity i don't know but my concern with this much money at stake is that star power as you say will will be the determining factor and that that is just isn't the way world cups work as far as i'm concerned yes have the host nation in i get that like they're doing the world cup football i i understand that but if the, if it's and that and that's if it's moving around every year it's i don't if you if you're in the same country five years in a row you can't keep putting the same the same country in but anyway that's that's a big concern. So we'll see. Uh, what else happened in the Davis Cup? Daniel Nestor retired, one of only six men to have a thousand career match wins, um, including Connors, Federer, Brian Brothers, and Lendl. Canada incidentally won three one. Uh, Denis Shapovalov came back from two sets to love down to win, and uh, Milos Raonic won both of his singles rubbers. Um, what else? Anything else? Quick, catch your eye. Um, no, I think that's quite big for Denis Shapovalov coming back from two sets down. I think that's the first time he's done that in his career, isn't it? Mm. 
I think it is. He came back from two sets to one down, didn't he, a couple of times at uh, the US Open, or certainly once. But uh, yeah, good win for him. So that's the Davis Cup. We wait to see what happens in that draw on the 26th of September. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, Catherine, did you hear my Enric Molina interview uh, over the last few days? Which is, uh, I which did. You I, just I, can't stop making podcasts, David. No, I, I was, I was really supposed to. Can't have let a go break. of the Grand Slam dailies. Yeah. <laughs> it was like going to do an extra podcast. I suddenly thought, oh, guess who I know? Enric Molina. Let's have him on. Um, it actually, I, th- I mean, I, I thought he was great to speak to. I did get quite a lot of correspondence off the back of it. Um, a lot of people saying some nice things, but also some people questioning elements of what Enric said, uh, questioning some elements of, of questions I did or didn't ask as well, which which I'm perfectly happy to to hear about as well if you if you have differing views. One of our listeners, Dennis Lee, who who's a regular listener, did write to me at some length to to, to question both Enric saying and me accepting his view that he has never treated a female player differently to how he's treated a male player. And and Dennis quite fairly pointed out that, yeah, consciously, I'm sure he didn't treat women or doesn't treat women differently. The, the point is, does it happen subconsciously? And, and I think that that is a fair point because... It's the point, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I I do kind of wish I'd pushed that point with Enrique, although I'm quite sure he would have reacted with, oh, 
Well, I, I don't think so. But that's that again is is not the point, is it? No. Yeah, no, I mean, I w- absolutely wouldn't expect him. You can't say, <laughs> by definition, you can't say, oh, yes, I might have done unconsciously because then it's conscious. So Correct. Yeah. The, the story has, has moved on as well, more generally, with um, reaction on social media to Mary Carrillo's recent interview on M- NBC or CNBC or whatever it is. I can't remember exactly the, the channel. Um, but she works for NBC, does, does Mary Carrillo. And, and she was very strident in her views that, that this situation wasn't as it was being paid, painted to be by people that she has enormous respect for, like Billie Jean King. She just didn't agree with their views. She felt that, that Carlos Ramos wasn't at fault, um, certainly not nothing like to the degree that, that was being painted and, and that, that the chief um, problem was coming from Serena Williams. Now, she's faced some some backlash from uh, from Jill Smaller, who's the uh, the representative of Serena Williams. We've we've also had Chris Clary's piece. Chris Clary from the New York Times wrote a piece explaining some statistics that had come to light about how there were more um, code violations given out to male players than there were to female players, which by association was was saying that it disproves Serena's view that uh, male players wouldn't have been treated the way she was treated. Um, and her husband, Serena Williams, his husband, Alex Hanian Sr., has since responded to that today and, and really had a go at Chris Clary and, and pointed out today that... Um, the reason there are more or, or those statistics showing that there are more male cases of code violations are, can only be justified if you're able to look at how many times, for instance, a male player has been guilty of cursing uh, during a match in, in order to get a code he's, violation he's, for audio. He's right. Bodies. That is a crucial aspect. That is a crucial uh, interpretation of the statistics that we have available to us in tennis is is largely extremely poor um and that is i I agree with him that's crucial information it's not about um it's not about net numbers of offenses it's if it's numbers of offensives it's numbers mm, start again uh it's not about net numbers of warnings it's about net numbers of warnings relative to offenses Mm. Yes, it is. However, I, I personally would have preferred a slightly different way of um, registering his complaint uh, about it rather than what felt a bit like grandstanding to me. Um, yeah. But he uh, he he's then said that he will donate, I think it was uh, 10 or, or $10, I think, for every word in the piece uh, to, uh, to a, a charity. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Um, but... Yeah, by all means, go and do the independent research. I'd, I'd be, I'd be very interested to see the results as well. Um, I just feel that, uh, yeah, maybe Chris Clary didn't get it right, but I'd probably prefer not to be trying to sort of shame him publicly in quite the way that that felt like it was doing. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, publicly, yeah, publicly shaming is sadly is where we are in the world. Anyway, yes. yeah. Uh, by the way, just just a quick note. I mean, I, I think it hardly needs saying, but that cartoon in Australia was disgusting. Yeah, it's a fantastically racist cartoon. Anyone anyone that thinks it isn't um, 
I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know where to start. Um, I read it. I mean, I, sh- I shouldn't be reading articles by Rod Little, full stop. But an article by him saying, "Oh, you know, it's just, it's impossible to, to to draw a picture, to draw a cartoon of a black person without it being racist." Well, that very well might be the case. You know, white people draw. You know, it, discrimination, prejudice isn't just discrimination. It's discrimination plus power imbalance. Um, and you know, we still live in a world where there is a tremendous and egregious power imbalance between black people and white people. So maybe we haven't reached a, a stage yet of enlightenment where white people can draw cartoons depicting black people in an unracist way. But what, what if if you're in any doubt at all? I mean. He, any doubt at all i think the the most the biggest giveaway of the cartoon isn't actually how serena is depicted it's if you look in the background the tiny little figure of um naomi osaka who is also a woman of color she's depicted as a uh, little blonde white girl so you know you've got the good you know the angelic good person depicted as white and then you've got the the looming um figure of very dark-skinned serena williams in the foreground um so even if you don't take issue with uh, how serena is depicted i think the relative depictions of the two given that naomi saka is very much also a woman of color i think is yeah it le- can leave you in absolutely no doubt well said couldn't agree more um incidentally carlos ramos one of the umpires at usa against croatia in the davis cup um seen in conversation or pictured in conversation with katrina adams uh, the the head of the usta uh was reported by uh, one of the ap journalists as having made an apology a private apology not very private uh, but an apology to to carlos ramos during their conversation i i wish that katrina adams if she did feel like that would would just say it um you know and let us all know she was she was perfectly happy to throw him under the bus publicly so any subsequent backtracking on that should probably be fitting if that were public too i mean he i only saw the photos i don't know whether it's captured on video as well but he looked remarkably magnanimous in that situation i mean my rage would have been boiling out of my ears david can you imagine no um, i'm scared to think about it <laughs> um so it looked to me like he was doing marvelously well i suppose neutrality is um part of the job uh for the likes of carlos ramos but um I think regardless of how you think he dealt with the situation, even if you think he was slightly in the wrong or slightly sexist or whatever, I don't see how you can possibly condone Cat Adams going on ESPN and just tossing him under the bus without a care in the world about it. Mm. Um, surely that, you know, regardless of her position personally or, uh, you know, as an organisation, surely there has to be some even-handedness from the, the, the president chairman of the the USDA about it you know we see both sides etc etc um so yeah but I mean she's 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 not going to be in the post for much longer so maybe she's less invested in um the consequences of her actions I suppose um but you think legacy might be a consideration um anyway well done Carlos Ramos for (laughs) for not uh doing what Catherine Whitaker would have done (laughs) in that situation and just sort of had a big tantrum maybe 
<laughs> yes, uh, that would have been entertaining in itself. Almost worth just as an experiment. No, no. Uh, Grand Slams are going to stick with 32 seeds. A year ago, there was, or less than a year ago, there was there was uh, a proposal to reduce Grand Slams to 16 seeds. The idea being to try to make the first weeks of Slams more interesting and and more potential for upsets it does appear and it doesn't appear unrelated that there have been so many upsets in the first week of slams this year that that has probably been the death knell for that for that idea for which i was quite enthusiastic i have to say i still like the idea of 16 seeds loads of people feel very differently to me um how do you feel about it i again i i I I don't feel incensed. I didn't feel incensed at the prospect of um, them returning to sixteen seeds, but equally, I, I I just don't think it's necessary. And they've obviously realised that. It's it's it's, it's nice to see um, a position on something that isn't so entrenched as to be sort of irrational. Um, there seems to be a lot of that, just sort of pig-headed. No, this is our position, and regardless of developing events or changing landscapes, we are sticking with this entrenched position. Um, you know, they've looked at how the Grand Slams have gone this year, and they've realised that that perhaps the the arguments in favour of it in the past don't so much apply anymore. And I think that's great because, yeah, <laughs> the first week of Slams have definitely not disappointed this year no. they've if anything you know there's been too much carnage um of the oh, top i love players. carnage carnage um, is great me too, me too but we we do talk about tennis does talk about the fact that there there's a perfect amount of carnage isn't there where week two is still preserved which makes week one exciting but you don't end up with a disastrous um I'm not going to use examples because it'd probably be disrespectful to the individuals involved but you know you know I do know, but you I st- st- you still want to have the showdowns in week two. You don't want to have, I don't know. U.S. Open last year is probably an example, isn't it? Um, where both the semi semifinals and the final were were disappointing. All those players absolutely merited being there, but the the level of carnage preceding that was probably, you know, for the for the average p- viewer, probably tipped into too much carnage. Yes. Carnage overflow, uh, in Catherine's view. Well, I would still like to see a specific tournament um, without any seeds. And I just want to see a bedlam draw. Total yeah, that'd potluck. Be, that, yeah, that'd be fun as an experimental. Yeah, great. I'm up for trying that. Okay, right. Well, we're doing that. Sure. The Catherine and David Open. The Tennis Podcast Open is going to be... I, I mean, how far below 1,042, whatever it was, that the Swiss and Swedish... I mean, <laughs> if, if they're getting call-ups, David... Anyone can It enter. can only be a matter of time. Yeah, hope We're, remains alive. And we and because it's our tournament, we get wild cards. That's how it works. Right, because <laughs> that seems to be the new thing. Um, anyway, what else has happened over the last week? Uh, in terms of results, Heather Watson has reached the semifinals in Quebec. She's actually having a decent couple of months, is Heather Watson. She uh, she was beaten, I think, by Pauline Parmentier, who ended up winning the tournament. Uh, quite a notable result in Hiroshima, won by Shea Suwei, but really the headlines that occurred to me were, were the person she beat in the final, Amanda Anisimova, who you may remember we spoke about her, at, I think in about March time, when she was just 16, and 16 years old. She's now 17, but in, in the world's top 100. Um, and Apparently, the first player born in 2001 
to do exactly that to reach the uh, the top hundred uh, uh, at the moment and I don't know I find her of all the young players coming up I find her probably just about the most exciting prospect that I've seen because there just seems to be no weakness no obvious downside to her game um but we'll see how it develops on the subject of young players doing incredibly well jack draper who you may remember won the wimbledon boys title uh, he no op- finalist wimbledon was it finalist boys. didn't he win it i think so oh no think no you're right finalist, finalist yeah. yeah finalist of the uh, wimbledon Still boys very good yeah, still very good. Well done, Jack. Uh, well, he decided not to play in the US Open Juniors, um, and he entered instead a 15,000 tournament uh, in Nottingham, a futures tournament, which I saw a little clip of on somebody's mobile phone. <laughs> About four people watching by the looks of it. But anyway, he won it. So well done, Jack. Um, he now goes to Brohampton for another one. Then he goes to Nigeria for two weeks of 25K events. And Stu Fraser, our colleague, says he's the only 16-year-old old in the world's top 1000 so again it's so difficult isn't it to know and to read how these people will transition and make this this progression into the senior ranks but i quite like the fact that he didn't play us open juniors and he's just starting to build that foundation yeah the guy's definitely got swagger hasn't he i mean he was a great watch in that wimbledon final he was go- he, he was um Definitely not afraid of a bit of showboating, um, which obviously is something that needs to be controlled and, and you know, deployed um, uh, sparingly, I suppose. But it, it's it's nice. Sometimes with British juniors, you I don't know they, they when you when you when you dip your toe into watching junior tournaments at Grand Slams and you see the the kids that are coming out of other countries and then you look at the British kids and they all look quite you know cookie cutter and LTA. Um, I tell you, you, look at someone like Jack Draper, who yes, probably is precocious and annoying, <laughs> but um, you know he can't help the fact that he's a seventeen-year-old boy. Most of them are, and um, yeah, I like that he's got a bit of swagger about him. Um, and he's a bit different. He's, I guess he's not very British, and I'm no. okay with that. Well, uh, when I think of the, the players who, who've come through those junior ranks and looked pretty angst-ridden about being on the circuit, I mean, you know, he talked about going off to Nigeria for a couple of weeks as though it was nothing. You sometimes mm. see certain players clearly not relishing that side of, of the game, which is part of being a pro. I mean... Crikey, and he, not 17, incident. he is just 16. And that's... 16. That's a very young age to be going 16-year-old boys are worse than 17-year-old boys. Yeah, I know I was. Uh, but, I mean, crikey, the thought of me going anywhere on my own when I was 16 other than across <laughs> the road to get some sweets. <laughs> I, I mean, it wouldn't have happened. So, I don't... I, you know, it's quite a big thing to do. So, um, good for him. Let's hope, uh, let's hope he's able to progress. Um a couple of pole vaults that I've run, Catherine. Uh, you can switch off now if you want. Um, don't groan. Uh, Serena Williams, uh, I, I ran a poll about about her tennis because I thought, you know, we're talking too much about non-tennis stuff here. So will she retire with 23, 24, 25 or more than 25 slams? She's currently on 23. What do you think? Maybe 25. 25 there 20, 29% agree with you Catherine the highest vote actually was for t- for 35% going for just 23 slams think she won't win another one although that is negated overall let's see 65% think that she will win at least one more 
Um, and 21% think she'd win more than 25. Uh, how about this one then? Who do you think will retire with the most slams out of Federer, who's currently on 20? I feel like you run these pole vaults like every week. Every other slam? Every other slam, yeah. Because things happen, mm. Catherine, as you know. Federer on 20, Nadal on 17, Djokovic on 14. So who's going to retire with the most slams? We had 2,153 votes. I still think Federer will edge it. How many is well, he going to have edge it, Who he'll edge it from, I don't know. That wasn't the question, I want to David. know. Well, how many do you think he'll have? Do you think he'll win another one? Yeah, maybe one more. Okay. Nadal, uh, well, 51% of people think that uh, Federer will win, win the most. This is the most interesting one for me, is that 24% think Djokovic will win the most and 18% think Nadal. And so Djokovic, who's got three less than Nadal, more people think he'll end up winning more. What do you think? Um, I just said who Federer will edge it from, I don't know. Uh, I think Nadal will definitely win one more French Open and possibly one more something else. Let's say I think Nadal will win two more slams. Okay, all right, I'll let you have that. Minimum, so I think Djokovic will win more than two more, but whether he'll win six more... I think Djokovic and Nadal could end up on the same. Well, did you know 7% of our voters think it'll be a draw between the three of them? Imagine that. Imagine how good the uh, who's the greatest argument will be then. Oh, don't, don't, because then... Oh, well. <laughs> Then we'll have to get some tie breaks. Brilliant. <laughs> which have also been creating lots of arguments and loads of correspondence, uh, which I've decided not to let you in on because you'll only pull your hair out. Um, so, yeah, that's the pole vaults for this week, Catherine. Uh, do you want to know what I think? Sure. Silence that end for about two seconds there. Um, uh, well, I think that Serena Williams will win 25 Yes, she will win 25, uh, and and so she'll win two more. And I think that Federer will just about edge it, and I agree with you. I think Nadal and Djokovic will be joint second, one slam behind. That's what I so think. So you think exactly the same as me? Yeah. So I'm going to go... Right. I'm going to go. I don't, I don't think Federer's going to win another one. I think he's going to win. stay on 20. I think Nadal... Hold on a minute. I think, I think, no, I think Nadal will win at least three more. Crikey. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go dead heat twenty twenty twenty. There you go. Ridiculous. <laughs> the chances of that the chances of that are very slim. Imagine if I'm right. I'm gonna get the get, yeah. get down the bookies. No, I don't bet. <laughs> Uh, right, I can tell you've had enough of me, Catherine, so shall we end this show uh, at this point? Um uh, we'll be back together next week, won't we? I bet you can't wait. Yeah. You're t- you're too perky, David. <laughs> brilliant well okay well this has been (laughs) Catherine's off for another nap Uh, this has been the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph with Amazon Prime Video UK don't forget you can uh, watch the Labour Cup streamed in more than 200 countries on Amazon Prime uh, next weekend it's going to be quite interesting that isn't it Chicago uh, Djokovic is playing no Nadal uh, Kyle Edmonds playing that that all makes it the, the whole Davis Cup conversation quite quite awkward as well doesn't it the number of players that yep. are playing Labour Cup and didn't play Davis Cup so anyway we'll yep. see that um, and uh, we are executive produced by Melody Bowes Triple S TennisBalls.com our mascot is Charlie the Ferret and we are sponsored by La Manga Club we'll see you next week
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.